With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anybody who gets a movie made is okay with me. Well, I, I actually paid for it myself. That's even better. <laughs> I, I paid for myself. It's, it's, it's for, for an American film, I guess. It's, it's quite experimental. Um, um, it is. No, but is this, I mean, what the hell we're talking about? It's, it's, um, his most recent film is called The Viva, and you were, uh, we were talking beforehand, you got kind of, uh, so much stuff got screwed by COVID. I, is that a bold statement? I'm gonna go, go I'm gonna go out on a limb and say COVID fucked things up for a lot of people. It did, think, but Joe? you know, I, I guess I since it it messed up the whole world, it, it, it's hard to take any of it personally, right? Well, like, for sure. It, but I just uh, I kept, you know, during all this, we were talking to filmmakers who were like, I mean, especially last year, kind of uh, when it was first hitting, and all these people who had finished these movies with every expectation of being able to sit in a movie theater and watch them with an audience, and. Um, Yes, there are certainly much larger problems in the world, but God, I feel that. Pain. Yeah, no, look, we I worked really hard on it and, and we got uh, our South by Southwest premiere after actually having trouble with film festivals and a week before the festival was going to um, happen, it, it all got shut down. So it was difficult, you know, and, and uh, but like I said, it's, it's life, man. It's just life. So, so what is the province of the release of this picture now? Well, I mean, it's at, you, you, it's, it's called it's, Aviva. It's, it's, it's out there. Oh, it's, out it's, there. A, it's a little out there. I mean, you can get, you can rent it on iTunes or on Amazon and got a little. Oh, I mean, it's out there as in available. I didn't mean it's. Yeah. Um, no, that's what I mean. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's probably already out. It's out there too. It's out well, there. Let me hear. Watch, watch Joe's face. It's, it's, and I'm going to do a terrible, I, I can't, I've been trying to come up with a way and I just, I can't. And I apologize. I'm bad at doing this with my own things, sort of summing them up, but it's, uh, uh, compelling romantic drama, uh, utilizing interpretive dance. Yeah, Joe, it's it's a movie about it's a movie about the masculine, feminine balance or imbalance in the self, and how that affects relationships. Right. So it's a story about a man and a woman, but I cast it's all dancers. Um, it, it's all dancers, and I cast two people in each role. So a man and a woman play both the man and the woman. So four actors play two people. That's very progressive. Um, and, sometimes, and sometimes the two men are together, sometimes the two women, sometimes all four of them all are in four together, together. having arguments. Some, sometimes they're, they're off having affairs with different people. And, and it's very, <laughs> they're very theatrical and, 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 and kind of just very, just, it, it's, you know, and it's a dance movie and there's a ton of sex in it um, because it's about sexuality. Um, so it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a very unusual film for. So, so what did you think I wasn't going to like about this? <laughs> <laughs> it just, it just, I, I could be wrong. Dancing it? Like I'm, I've never uh, seen the red shoes. <laughs> uh, oh, well, yeah, no. Oh my God. The, 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 it's beautifully directed too. And, and in a way that's deceptive because so many of the dance scenes are just sort of, you know, dancers in tights or less in the most spare surroundings. It's just like a bunch of dancers in a warehouse. How, how, how amazing is this going to be? And yet you bring something to it with a direction that just takes it to the next level. And obviously they're amazing dancers. Um, I mean, there's a scene uh, uh, here. I'll spoil a scene for you. There's a scene where a, 
woman is imagining her. Wait, actually, that's not true. Is she imagining herself flying to LA? Yes, her male self, correct? God, it's a yes, man, but his female self is interpreting, making fun of what the masculine side of herself felt like going to meet a woman in LA. In a warehouse. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> um, I loved it. I'm, I loved it. I don't know if I'm going to I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, no, it's fantastic. And, um, and you also have just, just as a great companion piece for a double feature, um, you were a co-writer on uh, the heart of they fall, which, um, yeah, exactly that would be, that would be a fun double feature, but, uh, what a double feature with the heart of they come my, my day, my, my day job. <laughs> it's, it's, I can't think, I mean, there's a, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting range there. This is the movies that made me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. But Boaz first, you know, I, I first noticed his work way back in, Jesus Christ, how many decades now? Yeah. <laughs> Don't make me feel so old. Gosh. Hey, I was there too, my friend. <laughs> Joe was Joe was there ahead of us. Uh, uh, was the fresh. First, the, the, the first, yeah, fresh was nineteen ninety three or something. Like ninety three, ninety four. Yeah. Yes. And I had been writing before that. You know, I I, mm-hmm. I broke in when I was nineteen. You know, and and uh, and and I actually so yeah, I, I kind of moved out to L.A. I think nineteen eighty six or something like that, uh, and started writing movies. You know, and um. Yeah, and I just I remember fresh, and I'm I'm tell me I'm wrong. Like we we, I would not have known who Sam Jackson was when I was watching that movie. I think right, he had not well, quite. Sam had done like he he had done a couple of Spike Lee films and stuff, but but he actually Lawrence, my friend who produced Fresh, also produced Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, right. and Sam was at the time that he that that he came in and and that he he got we hired him to do Fresh. He um, was auditioning to do Pulp Fiction mm. for Quentin. And I guess, you know, the story, which I guess he's told since then, but I, I experienced firsthand was uh, he kind of thought he had that part wrapped up, right? And I guess he came in and really didn't do much of an audition for it. And this other actor, I can't remember who it was, came in and did some kind of terrific audition or something. And suddenly Sam wasn't so sure like that he was going to get this part in Pulp Fiction, which is what he really wanted. Right. And so when we would be doing rehearsals for Fresh, which he was supposed to shoot and then immediately go into shooting Pulp Fiction, he'd always be like, did I get the part? Did I get the part? And I'd be like, Sam, I have no I have no fucking idea. Like, I don't talk to I'm not talking like, what are you going to do? Act poorly in this film if you don't get that part? Like, (laughs) Like, just just let's, you know. And when I heard, like, before we started shooting, that he, he went back and apparently did a great audition for it. Um, when I heard he got the part for Pulp Fiction, I was like, huh. Like, I was so, I was just so relieved for me. Like, I didn't even care. I didn't even know what that was, you know? It's not like I knew Pulp Fiction was going to be a big deal or anything. But, like, but um, it was just such a relief for me. Yeah, but so Sam wasn't really known until... yeah. After like, you'd did. seen him in, like, he had played, um, like, the, the DJ and stuff and... Um... Yeah, and I uh, think he was the. I think he played the troubled brother in um, 
Mo Better Blues. Mo Better Blues. So that I, that might have been point. before I made Fresh or, or right. right around the same time or after. I, I don't remember. It's a long time, long, yes. long time. Yes, but it was way, ago. way before it was a sure thing to cast him in your movie. <laughs> a long and, um, time. God, the great Giancarlo Esposito. I mean, it's such, it's such an amazing film. Uh, yeah. And so many others. Uh, the Jason Statham movie that I love, Safe. Uh, I was excited to, like, I, mean, I, don't, I don't tend to watch, like, episodic. I mean, I, I don't tend to watch TV shows where you, like, have to know what happened in the one before mm-hmm. to watch. You know, like, I like shows like Star Trek or whatever, like the original one, anyway, where, where, uh, where you, you can pick up an episode at any given time. And all that, but everyone was like, Giancarlo is so great in Breaking Bad. You have to watch him in Breaking Bad. Oh. And um, I watched a few of those episodes, and he was really, really memorable. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of great to see an actor like that who's sort of been on the fringes for decades, working, right? But on the yeah. fringes for but decades. getting that moment. Right? Suddenly, like every movie, he's just like in every TV show, and yeah. every, every time you turn something on, it's like, and Carlos on it, you know, and it, it just, it, it definitely feels good to see people hit that moment. I completely also started by you. The, the thing you said about TV is so funny because I remember as a kid, I would watch shows like Star Trek or the one that always got me was Night Stalker. And as a kid, it frustrated the hell out of me that there was no continuity. Gosh, yeah, I love you know, it. like every week, but I was like, God, every week on Night Stalker, he had to start over. He had to convince his boss once again, you know, that there are now vampires. But that whole premise, that's, that was what was wrong with that show, was that after the first episode, he still never believed any of this shit. With that's what I'm saying. Least, so you're at like, least uh, if he believed it, though. That was, right. just, that was just, at least if after the second one, he was just like, all right, this planet is fucked up. Nobody else pays attention to it, but I do. Yeah, everything was like, holy shit, the- there, are, there are mummies in L.A.? Yeah, like, but, yeah, dude, there were werewolves last week. It didn't seem But I thought the premise would have worked even as one-offs, as long as he was like, yeah oh it's a fucking vampire okay let's go like you know but instead of time surprised. he was just like what's happening <laughs> but but see but now we're times? living in the opposite version of that and i'm driven even more crazy by the fact that like if i've stopped watching a show for a season and i come back i don't know who half the people are it's just assumed you've maintained these incredibly convoluted plots i, and- I watched one episode the first episode of Game of Thrones when it came out. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, this is now for me, right? Whatever. So I didn't watch anymore. And then I had a couple of friends. I had a big TV at the time in LA. And they were like, it was like the season finale of season three or four. I right. don't remember what. And they were like, can we come over and watch it, right? And I was like, sure, come over and watch it, right? And I hadn't seen any of them. And they come over and were watching this Game of Thrones episode. And what was fascinating to me was that like, Every scene was about a two or three minute scene with a completely different character that you never went back to again, except for maybe one or two, for an hour. And I was like, there's that many storylines that like you can literally have three minutes with each person for an hour and then never go back to any of it. Like what's happening in this show? Like, you know, a lot of kingdoms, you know, it's just a lot of stuff. And, and, it's just an interesting and different new approach to these like long form storytelling. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, if I have to do that, that much homework, I want to know what actually happened. Like it better be the war of the roses or some shit. Like if it's some like made up place and I'm supposed to keep track of all that stuff, it's just like, you gotta be kidding me. So I'm like, I'll watch law and order any day. <laughs> well, there you go. There's a show without continuity, essentially. Yeah, right? it's or, just like you know, each one they solve the crime or whatever, and that's that's good. You know, I I don't like these like 
five seasons of something that you're yeah. supposed to follow. Just well, the that. thing I love about Law and Order, Joe, you're, you watch is like, there's usually about a 30 to 40% chance that the killer is uh, somebody you know and have worked with and, you know, have <laughs> hung out with. <laughs> you know, I, I, Every I was actor like, I've ever known. <laughs> as, a, as a New York filmmaker, like um, for years, like when I was making movies like Fresh or Price Above Rubies or whatever, you know, you would always want to hire people and they couldn't because they were working on Law and Order, right? You were like, right. and they would never let them out. Like you were like, come on, we're making, let them out for a week. They would never let them out. I'd never seen an episode of Law and Order for like 20 years or something like that. And then actually when I was in like Philadelphia making safe, right? I, I was in this hotel room and I was just like waiting to go to a meeting or something. And like on TV, I just turned on the hotel room TV and it was like Law and Order Marathon, whatever. And I started watching an episode and I was like, I need to find out what happens at the end of this. And then I was like, there's another one. Okay. And like three episodes later, like when I got this call to go to the meeting in the middle, I was like, fuck, like I'm in the middle of it. And I think after that point, they catch must, him, by the way, I'll say I you must that. have seen an obscene amount of hours of law and order. Like if I, like I probably have a whole other life I could have lived like adventures, like relationships, <laughs> like I, I could have actually had an actually fulfilling existence in that amount of time that I spent watching so many episodes of Law and Order. I had that experience once years ago. I, my, I was behind on a deadline and my agent was like, go, go to my, he had a place in Palm Springs. Just go there, lock yourself up and write. And I did, but you know, I don't know if you can, you probably can. I can't write for every waking hour of the day. You know, it's no, a few no, hours no, a day yeah, and then I need yeah, to, course. And um, he was like, don't worry, we got TV. We got all this stuff down there. You'll be great. And I got down there and I hadn't brought anything to watch. And I had brought, and the TV only, whatever channel they got, it was some like Chicago cable channel. And all they showed was Law and Order and CSI. So I remember for like a solid week, that was all I watched was those two shows. And, uh, I know. You can, yeah. you can watch a lot of that stuff. Anyway. Yes. But that's why we're here is to talk about Law and Order with you, Boaz. No, so. no, let's not talk. They're fine. Oh, yeah, they're no, fine. I, I, we had conversations. Fine with me. <laughs> They'll be fine. I was watching the Super Bowl yesterday, and it was like the original returns. And it was like, don't, 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 don't. And I was like, what? Like, they are literally starting Law and Order again. What, just like, how, how just calling it Law and Order? Yeah, Law and Order, the original returns. It's like scream, you know. Some people How? can't. Some people can't tell the difference. Oh, was it the original cast? <laughs> well, I mean, he was there anyway. I, I, half of them are probably dead at this point. Yeah, <laughs> but but Sam Watterson's still hanging in there, and he was he was like, you know, I'm putting you on trial, you know, and you're just like, oh shit, wow, they're really <clears throat> going back to the well now. But um, that's amazing. And I remember what is it? For, didn't they like this? This is why people tune into this show. Um, Alfred Molina played. He was on one of those shows and he was a DA for a while. And then apparently he decided he didn't want to be a DA anymore. So next season he was a detective. No, Law and Order? <laughs> I believe, yes. I don't remember Alfred Molina. Maybe he was, he was one back. of the Law and Order. You know how many different Law and Orders there are? Yeah. You know, it's like I mean, three or it's four or five. different. Yeah. Yes. Maybe this was Law and Order Cuddle Brigade. I, think I didn't know. Exactly. I didn't yeah. see that. <laughs> I didn't see the <laughs> just focus entirely on crimes of cuddling. Um, well, Boaz, I've, I've wanted to have you in here for a while. And um, uh, it was it was uh, a fun thing. I, I had no idea what to expect watching um, uh, The Heart of the Fall. And like, there's Boaz's day. And I'm like, of course, he just, you, I've always had this habit of sort of popping up in places where I don't expect you. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, uh, Jason Statham action film. It's not, it's like, there he is. Um, and I've always thought you'd be a great person to bring on the show because I know you're not going to talk about, you know, 10, 10 movies that are all the same, I guess. Mm. But yeah, I'm sort of interested to find out what kind of movies have made you. What is the stuff that... Well, I mean, there's, it's interesting, right? Because I sent you a list we, and when we were discussing doing... But we this, pretend that never happened. That's the whole oh. blown um, joke. Well, I mean, <laughs> he, edits all the, he edits all this stuff out, so you can say whatever you want. Well, we act surprised. There's, there's, <laughs> here's, here's the interesting thing about it, right? There's, there's the movies. Different films affect us at different times of our lives, right? And, right. and as, as you well know, speaking to people who know a lot about it more than I do, but in, in any case... Just uh, him, um, just him. Um, exactly. But, but so there are movies that really affected me when I was younger that changed like how I wanted to, that made me want to make films that, you know, but I've evolved a lot over the years and where I'm at now creatively and all that is obviously, you know, very different from where I was when I was 19 years old and just hoping to do sure. a Stallone, Stallone movie and make it big <laughs> in Hollywood. You know what I mean? Which I, you know, or whatever it was that I was into doing at the time. And 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 I've I've struggled. I've had a very challenging emotional and, and creative experience over the last few decades because after a very brief introduction into Hollywood when I was in my twenties, trying to make action, you know, I, I wrote the original Punisher movie in, in right. my, and I wrote an action movie for Clint Eastwood, but very shortly after that, when I was like 23, you know, I I was already feeling frustrated at 23. And I moved to Paris for a year and I quit the film business and just read Henry Miller and wanted to be a, a, a writer, you know, and, and all that. And, and my friend Lawrence dragged me back into the film business with telling me if I wrote something for a low enough budget, I could possibly direct it. And that's, that's when I came up with Fresh. And I've been kind of conflicted in this business, if you want to call it a business or whatever, ever since in that my creative inclinations and the directions that I've wanted to go in also, given my background, my childhood background, in terms of my, my family's theater background, like my parents being mimes, like my, my father being the, the head of movement at Juilliard for all these years directing. I did not shows. know this. Your parents were mimes? My parents met in the 50s in Paris studying with Etienne de Coup and uh, Marcel Marceau. And oh my God. they had a mime company for years. My father directed Jacques Grell as Alive and Well and Living in Paris uh, off Broadway in New York. And How do they communicate moved... with each other? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> very loud. Very Are loud. they really? Really, yeah. So very <laughs> loud. Um, uh, but um, I always had this other side of, you know, art, a kind of an artistic expression that was very unusual and very different than involved movement and theater and and abstraction and all this stuff and and you know i was making very normal films in in, in a lot of ways and um i think that as i've you know as i've uh gotten older as i've, I've continued my interest in for lack of a better word traditional filmmaking or just traditional narrative filmmaking has just waned massively Mm. Um, and it's, look, I still enjoy watching it. And if I'm going to just relax by the TV or whatever, I'll throw on an episode of whatever Marvel's showing that week, you know, but as a creative person, as a person who's trying to do something that interests me, my interests have started to vary quite widely and diverge quite, quite strongly from what we would call the mainstream. And 
yet there's almost no financing for things like that in our uh, in our particular system. So I've had to kind of keep my hand in writing things like the harder they fall or whatever, like just to keep a roof over my head. And then other than that, take that money and make my own movies with it. I'm about to do that again with about the most artsy experimental shit that I've, makes Aviva look like a Spielberg movie or something like that. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, that's really what I'd rather be doing. Um, and so the movies, the list of movies that, 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 you know, that I gave you were more like, a list of movies that over the course of my life weren't just the things that like made me want to make a movie the way like I don't know when I was six the adventures of Robin Hood okay now I know this is my whole life now you know right. or, or 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 you know seeing Kurosawa's um uh, uh Kagamusha when I was 14 and I was like that's what a movie director does and mm-hmm. you know and I so I mean I've had the you know the movies that made me want to make movies like that or Mean Streets or whatever but then there were the movies that I would see over the course of my life that made me go, oh, wait, you can do completely different things with this medium that, you know, look, movies themselves, right, have certain kind of surreal tropes to them anyway. It's not like a realistic thing, even though we're trying to convey a sense of realism in it. But for me, I mean, everyone has their own versions, but the, there were certainly movies that for me at, at certain points in my life made me go, oh, you can do something completely different um, and still convey emotion and ideas and stories. And, and those things have really been inspirational to me in a different way over the course of my life. And those were the things that I thought maybe we can concentrate on yeah, yeah. rather than just the kind of stuff that, that sort of, I think, more traditionally influenced me. And, you know, I mean. Yeah. No, and, stuff and, that... Sorry. And just to, not to, to, pun, to go to, to, Cut me off if I'm if I'm going on too long sometimes, but I would say that um, what's interesting about some of these movies for me and some of the movies that were the most actually influential on me creatively are that sometimes I only watch them once, mm. or you know, whereas there's movies that I've seen like a, like how many times have I seen Jaws? Like I don't even know. Like if it's on and I hear the John Williams music, I can't just I have to watch the whole thing. Like I can't just watch part of it right so i've seen jaws like eight thousand times but has it influenced me creatively in any way or my interests in any way whatsoever not a jot right Right. like like i have you know and yet i probably enjoy it more and have seen it more and then there's movies that i've seen once or twice you know i remember seeing half of the 400 blows right and first I, or second? I, and I fell asleep. And first half or second half? You only got to see 200 of them. Oh, I only okay. got to see 200 blows. Fell asleep exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, that, and, I, and I never watched it again until later. And, and when I made Fresh, my first movie, that the tone of that movie was the movie that I most wanted to capture mm. in, in my movie. And I, I'd seen it half a time. And then, of course, okay. after yeah. I made Fresh, I was like, this movie that I keep telling everyone that I want this to be like, <laughs> I, I really have to like watch this shit again. And I love it. I, I love it. I've seen it now a few times. You know what I mean? But, but it had such a strong influence on me and I'd only seen it, barely seen it. So I think that often things that really, really influence you and, and kind of move you and, and get you thinking about things in a different way aren't often the things that you necessarily just like kind of like 
hang out with. Right. All the time. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. You know, yeah. like 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 I've I've seen every episode of the original Star Trek eight thousand times, and it's still my favorite <laughs> thing in the whole world. And Captain Kirk's like my biggest hero in life, right? <laughs> but has it had any creative influence on me? Not at all. And do I have any desire to do anything like it? Not at all. Has Kirk influenced me as a human being and wanting to be a better person? Yes. But, Wait but, a minute. But, he's kind of know, an asshole. No, he's the best. Any, situa <laughs> any situation that, that you could possibly have, you want that guy in the middle of it, in my opinion. Anyway, and the best karate chumps. Um, but but that neck. aside, so things that have influenced me greatly and that I've really enjoyed as, as a human being haven't necessarily influenced me artistically. Right. Um, and, and that's a different story. So, so I thought we might focus. Yeah, on no, I think that's a really interesting point and, and, and true. Cause, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure uh, you can say the same, right? I mean, aren't there like movies that just have rocked your world that you have not gone back to time and again? And, well, there's things that you, that you admire that, you know, you aren't your bailiwick. I mean, you admire the fact that they were made and you could, the artistry that goes into them, but it's, it doesn't speak to you in a way like I want to do that. I would be good at doing that because what it's already there. It's fine. Yeah, let me do something different. Yeah, I, and I, but I, I, I also, I mean, there's movies just that, yeah, as you say, I'd go back and watch over and over and get so much joy from. But um, yeah, don't necessarily give me anything in regards to my own work. Uh, but yeah, like what? Let's let's do this. Give me a movie. Certainly, you know, like if I would say, like when I was 14, and I and I saw. Kurosawa's um, uh, 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 Yojimbo, not Yojimbo, I'm sorry, uh, the color one, um, Kagamusha. That blew my mind and made me go, what's a film director and all that, and, and made me want to make films, right? And there were movies that really energized and excited me, like when I saw Scorsese's Mean Streets at a revival theater, and just the ability to do something that was that, that raw, right? But the, the one, the first one, that really made me start to go, oh yeah, <laughs> right? Like there's a way to approach creativity with so much balls and kitchen sink thrown in and everything. It was probably two movies when I was at, like in my late teen years. One was, I'll start with Kurosawa. Um, he made a movie called Dodes Kaden, which is his first color movie and was kind of a failure and he tried to kill himself afterwards. I mean, I'm sure he had a lifetime of depression. It wasn't because of that movie, but it's a film about a group of poor people who live in a kind of a surreal garbage dump in Japan near Tokyo. Right. And it's, it's, it, it, it tells all the different story. It's not one storyline. It, it, I don't remember what you call it when it's like a lot of different little stories, <laughs> like a Raymond Carver, like, like shortcuts or something like that. It, it's like Kurosawa's, of shortcuts but it starts out with this kid who's developmentally challenged who thinks he's driving uh, a, a trolley car through the neighborhood and he literally pantomimes and for me with with that background i mean he literally makes the trolley car with its hands and creates the the reality of it and starts to drive it through the neighborhood um and the colors are completely expressionistic in the film, green skies aren't like, and it's, it's got a theatricality and an expressionistic palette that is completely removed from the real. And I, I guess, you know, movies have 
for a long time, like, you, you know, it's not like movies ever looked like, has, real life ever looked like Casablanca, right? With this great lighting and glamour and all that. So movies have always been kind of creating a different reality for life in a certain way. But I think certain things became codified, right? Certain things became codified, certain things became quote unquote acceptable to an audience or whatever within a realm of what you believe and how you can invest in something. Watching Dodeska then where he combined fantasy and reality and blended them in a way that was completely unusual and artistic, like, and the fact that he approached story in the way that he did and emotion, that really knocked me out and made me go, okay, there's a world of create for me that, 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 that was a world. And then the next person, which I discovered just about the same time, is the great Ralph Bakshi, right? And I somehow found my way. I'd seen commercials on TV for Coonskin, um, which I think is one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, and, and I discovered Fritz the Cat, his, his great three movies. Well, I, I had actually seen Lord of the Rings, his, his version of Lord of the Rings right. when it came out, um, which I, I still think, I mean, has some things in it that are far more interesting than anything that were put into the newer ones. Although, really? of course, yeah, well, some scenes. Yeah, I haven't seen it since it came out. I don't remember the much. stuff that well, he's called Wizards, Wizards, isn't it? Sorry? No, no, it's Lord of the Rings. Wizards? 1978, 1978. Yeah, he did. Um, it was supposed to be, they were gonna, it was weird. It was the first half of the trilogy, right? It's like, it's yeah, you did like all the of first the book and half of the second book. Of course, it's ultra compressed. I mean, the whole film is like an hour, 40 minutes or yeah. something like that. And there was going to be a sequel he, in its six. But, but what he did is he he really started to he, he had this thing where he combined animation, rotoscoping, live action backgrounds, yeah. like pop art backgrounds and, 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 and like it, it, everything like the artistic attack was so various, so uh, undisciplined and yet it created such a mood and texture that was so unusual it, it, that I had saw that, that he made that after he made these other films, but his groundbreaking movies were Fritz the Cat, Heavy Traffic, which I adore, and Coonskin, which is the most blistering satire of race and kind of, you know, American life possibly ever put on film. And its combination of animation live action, vulgarity, sublimity, and all that. Like, it was such an attack. It was such an assault. It was so full of daring and of creative impulses, often 10 things in one scene, that I was just like, it, it just so excited me and made me feel like it's possible to do anything in a movie, you know? and. Of course, after Coonskin, he was like pretty much, he had to go make Lord of the Rings and this and that. Like people were like, you will never do that again. Done with that stuff, yes. You will never do that shit again. And it's sad in a way, because I think the most creative and talented American filmmaker of the 70s never really got to spread his wings, you know? Wow. Um, he made three things and then the rest of it was kind of like trying to work it out, right? You know? Um, Kind of, always kind of struggled with those career. early ones. I mean, I love the, especially as a kid, I was like, I'm going to see boobies in a cartoon, which is, I mean, that alone is just the greatest thing ever. Right. When you're 12, but that, that is what, what starts you excited, interested in it. But then, it, it just somehow, yeah, those films just never clicked with me in the way that I, I wanted them to. I liked the idea of him out there. Loved his mighty mouse. Um, 
Uh, but, but heavy I, I, I envy you what you saw it though. Heavy traffic and Coonskin are masterpieces of pop art, right? Like, and if you grew up in New York or whatever in the 70s, and you know, the New York of the 70s is not the New York of today. It really, like when you watch the movie The Warriors, right? Which is like a, a, a complete fantasia, right? Yeah. At the time, you're like, it's five degrees. Yeah, it's like, slightly more, off. It's like slightly more than it's possible. But in New York in the 70s, that's kind of what it was like out here, right? Like it really yeah. was. Um, Have you seen, by the way, did you watch The Deuce, the David Simon mm-mm. series on HBO? It's it's really good. It's about the, the porn industry in New York and Times Square, especially in that period. But what's crazy to me is it looks like they had like the budget of Game of Thrones. Wow. To, you know, recreate. It's, it's, it's uncanny. Times I mean, Square. Because I was there and I know what it looked like. Yeah. But it hasn't looked that way for 30 years. And yet it's so convincing. I mean, the, the neighborhood itself and, and however they however they CGI'd it or whatever they do. Yeah. Uh, it is, is so grubby and so true. Uh, mm-hmm. it's worth, it's worth a look just for that. I'll check it, it really out. is. I, I liked it. And I thought it got better and better and ended very powerfully, but, but there is this thing when you realize you're watching a scene where somebody would walk outside and every now and then they do a money shot where it just this Vista. And, you know, if you had been there, if you knew what it looked like then, what it looks like now and what it must've taken to create that illusion, it's just breathtaking. And, you know, half people who are watching it are going, oh, well, they just shot that in New York, I guess. <laughs> it's every um, bit as yeah, but, but fantastic. I, I, think, as I, think Bakshi, I, I think Bakshi captured that feeling yeah. artistically. The colors, the palette. I'll give you that for sure. The, yeah, those the movies way, feel way like he, New York. And, yeah, and, and, and the combination of elements and the way he used sound and music. Like, yep. There's just sort of like nothing like it. The, the mood of it, the way he... The, it, the, the everything plus the kitchen sink approach where like, and, and that's something that like in Aviva, right. Finally really came around for me was that like so much of what we as filmmakers, because we're working for people who want to make their money back and making movies for audiences that expect their expectations met in a certain way, given whatever it is that you're putting out there. So much of what you have to do as a filmmaker is make it, quote, and I hate this word more than anything, although I use it when I'm doing that kind of film, is it has to work. Right. Does this work? That doesn't work. Does this work? No, introducing that character at this point doesn't work. Or, oh, you know, that plot twist, it doesn't work, right? That's such a limiting even thought to have when you're being creative, right? Like, and now I'm not saying that it doesn't have its place, but it also limits you from falling on your face, but discovering something that can be incredibly useful and beautiful and interesting, but we can't fall on our faces, even though we do all the time, but we're not supposed to, right? Because we're failing and letting someone, then you're not going to get to make the next movie or someone's going to lose money or what have you. It's not like a painting that costs you nothing except the canvas and whatever. Mm -hmm. So what I love about the backsheets and what I love about certain filmmakers is that he was like, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to put everything even into one scene <laughs> and none of it can work except one thing is going to work and it's going to be awesome. And I, I appreciate that so much. And, and I, yeah. pre- you know, I think all of us appreciate the seventies, the late sixties and early seventies films and all that, because some of that spirit was there, right. Like Altman's films. Like one film will be the most sublime thing you've ever seen. And then the next film is like a 
train wreck or something, you know, <laughs> like, like when Altman train wrecks, it's like, there's nothing holding it together at all. Right. But then the next film is the most beautiful and interesting thing you've ever seen at all of a sudden, because it's just all gelling. And you can't really do that now. You know, yeah. you can do it once. You don't come back from quintet ever. You don't come back <laughs> from that. Or even from the one with the kid with the wings. What was that? Oh, Mr. yeah. McLeod. Brewster McLeod. Yes. Brewster McLeod, which was early on, right? Like, yeah. It, it, he made it like well, this was this was right after mash and it was right, right. okay now he's now we're gonna you know he, he, we didn't expect that to be a big hit we didn't know what he was doing but look everybody right. likes it and so let's let him do what he wants to do well he did what he wanted to do. He did, <laughs> it did work, right good for him and, and then he went down there, and made yes. some other great films like nashville and mccabe and mrs miller none of which did that well right but and the long goodbye and no and they they were, they were not it's that's he's got an amazing career because he he so seldom actually hit the jackpot financially with these movies, but critically, he They're almost beautiful. always did. Even the even the ones that I don't like got pretty good reviews, uh, and and it's 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 pretty amazing he was able to string it out as long as uh, as he was able to. And also, he was such a pothead uh, that you know you just sort of wonder how much of how much of the uh, the stuff that doesn't work in the movies is 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 because he lost his train of thought, you know. Mm -hmm. But how much of the stuff that works is because yeah, he was yeah. stoned. I mean, well, I, mean I, I love, I, I love. The, the joint is half full, Joe. The Elliot Gould, uh, the long, I, I love the long goodbye. I yeah. love it, right? And that, that whole movie feels like you're, even if you're not stoned, it feels like you're watching it through a haze of marijuana smoke yeah. or something, right? Like the whole thing just has this, this feeling of like, I love that film. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, so 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 Bakshi really excited and influenced me and made me want to make films. And like when you see Aviva, it's like totally kitchen sink. Half of it, quote unquote, works. Half of it doesn't work. I don't give a shit. Like it, it's just there to be an experiment in every way, you know. Um, and a film that actually also thirty years later influenced Aviva, but like influenced me in certain ways. Uh, and I saw it in college, and I think. I didn't understand it in college, but that always, the fact that I didn't understand that always stuck with me. Um, was uh, one of the more fascinating things I, I experienced was the film teacher showed our class a movie by Benwell called That Obscure Object of Desire. Um, and it was like 20 kids in the, in the cinema studies class, right? And you, I'll just say it in case people haven't seen it. Essentially, it's a movie about a very, toxic relationship between a much older man and a younger woman that he's obsessed with, right? But what Benwell did is he cast two women in the role of this one young woman. Now, they're about the same age, right? But one of them is like red hair or what have you. And the other one is like got black hair and, and like they look, in other words, they look not much alike at all. Um, and essentially from one scene to the next, a different actress shows up and sometimes almost within the same scene, one comes in the door and one walks out. Right? It's, it's been a long time for me, but I, I mean, well, it is, if I recall, it's on you to realize that's what's going on, right? There's a hundred percent. Yeah. There's no explanation or anything. So what was really fascinating to me was I watched that in a, in a film school class and I was kind of tired. I wasn't in the mood, but I watched it and I wasn't really reading the subtitles very closely. So to me, it was this weird kind of I didn't quite get movie about an older guy having an affair with two young women who kept annoying 
the shit out of him, right? And, and, and finally, at the end, he walked off with one of them and got blown up or whatever, right? But to me, and at the end of the class, the film, the, the teacher asked the class, well, what did you think of that movie? Like, what was your experience, right? And one person in the class understood the movie. This guy, Marcus, who became a, actually a writer for Marvel and DC, poor guy's passed away now. He understood that it was two actresses and that they were playing the same character. I was one of the only, I was the only person in the class that didn't get the movie, but I knew it was two actresses and not one. The other 17, 18 people in the class didn't realize it was two actresses. 17 for 18 out of 20 couldn't tell the difference between two people. They got the movie. It was a guy having an affair with a young woman that was annoying him. They totally understood the movie and got a lot and were on for right. the ride. But they couldn't tell the difference between the two actors. That's so weird. And I could tell the difference. So to me, it was like, why is one of them, do they have the same mom? Is she the maid? What the fuck's going on, right? <laughs> like, I at least can tell the difference between two humans. Um, but what it did was it put this thing in my mind about how easy it is when telling a story in a way to get people into a certain mindset and into a certain frame of reference, a certain mindset, so that people weren't really focusing on it, right? right. They, they weren't focusing on that. And also afterwards, and then I saw it again after I realized what it was, I was really enamored by the fact that, as you said, it wasn't announced. He just did it. He just put two actresses playing one actor, one character, because he thought it would make it kind of interesting. Love that. Have you ever, you just want me to think something, have you ever seen, I think we've talked about it, Joe, Final Cut, Ladies and Gentlemen? Can we discuss this thing? Because it no, sort of plays on that to the nth degree. It's a Hungarian director. It's not, you can find it on Vimeo. I think um, there's a pretty good version of it. And he can't sell it for reasons that will be clear in a minute. And he, I think he lost financing to a movie like the day before they were start shooting which is a kind of spiral into insanity that some people understand and some people do not. And I think he locked himself in an editing room for God knows how long. And he cut together a movie that is, he decided there's two stories. There's stranger comes to town and there's boy meets girl. And he decided to do boy meets girl. And it is boy meets girl beginning, middle end, end told using clips from something like 400 movies mm. all cut together. And the instant you get it, you're not troubled by the fact that the scene where they first noticed each other was, you know, Charlie Chaplin and, and, you know, or Paul Ed Goddard. And that in the scene where they're getting married, you know, it's Don Draper from Mad Men and Betty, because it's all just taking you on this journey. And it's an amazing film. It's What's well it worth looking What's up. It's called, called Final Cut, Ladies and Gentlemen. Have you seen it, Joe? Have we not? I've actually got a copy of it. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, what's made you'll be blown away by and the, he got the rights to, to like, no, 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 no that's no, the no, thing. That's why, that's why he can't, why it's not a that's why it's releasable. free on Vimeo. It's not a commercially releasable. Film. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, it's so worth seeing. It'll also depress the shit out of you. Cause you realize, Oh Christ, all we do is just tell the same story over and over again. <laughs> exactly. I mean, be a new for, one. The, for the most part, I wonder, I wonder if with the Ben well movie, if it was just a case that these two actresses came in and he liked them both. And, you know, I've, I've been in situations where it's like, well, geez, I really like to hire this girl. This other person looks like they're better for the part, but geez, I, 
how am I going to decide? And somebody just sort of threw up his hands and said, well, I run both. Well, I think that might be part of it. But I think, you know, even though he doesn't do it in a way where like um, one of them is the nice one and one of them is the mean one, you know, and every time she's nice, it's one actress and right. every time she's mean. It's well, yeah, the other. as in your film where it, it's it, like, it, it's, it's, the... it's really random which one shows up at, at, at any given time. But I do think that since, you know, look, the movie's called that obscure object of desire, like the movie is about in a way getting obsessed with something and you don't really even see, we don't even see the people that we're obsessed with for who they are, right? Like, like we get the idea of an image of somebody or something we want from somebody, but we don't, we don't really know them or we don't really, and, and it's certainly an exploration of kind of misogyny and, 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 and all that. So, so I think that the, the two actresses actually does create this kind of fractured feeling of never knowing what it is that you're trying to, to get a hold of. Um, so I, I, maybe he did it out of just a kind of a, I, I don't think that was his plan when he started out, but I think once he landed on that idea, there was something quite like, it was, a, it was what the movie was about, you know, right. uh, to, to a certain degree. Um, so, you know, and then, and then two filmmakers, as I started to progress, I, I think two films by a couple of filmmakers that when I was younger, I didn't really connect to. And as I've gotten older, I feel are like the, the two, other than Kurosawa, the two best filmmakers. Um, uh, I couldn't get into Bergman when I was younger. Mm. It, was, I would, it was too intellectual for me, too much talking. Um, it wasn't to me what cinema was about, which is visuals and picture images and just much talking and do this in the theater, whatever. That's what I thought, right? That's what that that's at the time. But later, later in life, like in my 30s or something, I I, I landed on persona. Um, and that really changed my creative approach and interests in, in a major way. Um, what he did in persona, the way he uh, just the way he used the story and the characters and the way he took it uh, into exploring the psychological, emotional state of 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 these people and and it really changed how i I thought you could make films. and it re it really influenced me. And at the same time, a filmmaker who's the exact opposite of Bergman, which is Fellini, right? Which is the exact, not intellectual, not like only images, like you pro probably don't even want to think about what the movie's about because it's so not interesting, right? But, but I didn't like it either. I didn't like his films either when, when I was younger and, and I rediscovered Eight and a Half, but especially Juliet of the Spirits um, around, the same time and in a completely different way. The way Juliet of the Spirits fuses its reality and unreality, both of which are completely unreal um, and theatrical. And of course the camera movement is just the greatest camera movement anyone ever did, you know. Um, it, that, those two films really started to reshift me in my 30s, I'd say, even though they're like the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of energy and um, and approach. But Bergman, certainly Fellini, like I, I have limited 
patience for. And, and I, I, I adore his films, but I like watch them when I'm trying to figure out how to shoot something, you know? What right. I mean? um, but Bergman has become to me like the filmmaker that emotionally, intellectually, creatively, like before I do anything, I kind of sit down and watch four or five of his films and remind myself what it's all about. Well, you know, it's funny because Joe and I are not like, I would immediately go Joe Dante Bergman, but you're, you're a huge persona fan among others. Am I? I am. Yeah. Uh, but also, um, Hour of the Wolf is a very impressive mm. for me. Um, I think, I think what's interesting is that Bergman has sort of fallen out of favor. Uh, has he? In, in recent, yeah, I think so. In terms of, in terms of film buffery, I don't think that because they're demanding, uh, I think people don't revisit those pictures as often as, as they might other people certainly, you know, Fellini's movies are more fun in, the, in that sense. Uh, although early Fellini, uh, you know, the, the early Fellini pictures like uh, La Strada and Bedoni are, are pretty grim. Uh, and, uh, and also, you know, Bergman's movies are so often about death that sometimes I think people just go, I just don't want to think about death today, <laughs> you know, uh, but they're, but they're as meditations on death. I mean, they're, they're, it's not, not just the seventh seal, but I mean, just, you know, wild strawberries and I mean, all these movies are in persona too. Uh, they're, they're, they're all about death and loss. Uh, and, um, and, and they're, and, and it's interesting that Woody Allen was a huge Bergman fan mm. uh, because his movies are also kind of all about that. Um, Joe, don't, don't, don't you think though, that like, um, I mean, there's something generational that happened, like even for me, you know, a bit younger, but like that we were still exposed, like when I was growing up, even though I was growing up in the seventies and watching movies at that time, <clears throat> excuse me, that like we were still seeing black and white Humphrey Bogart movies on TV. Like that was part of our popular culture. Like it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't in the theater right now, but, and I feel that something really shifted and like, Bergman, like young people, when you say cinema buffs or whatever, who are these people at this point? Like to them, like, you know, to them, anything made before 2000 isn't even a movie. Or well, that's true. Like that, that, right? that's, so that's is it a very... product of his quality or just that it's no, so it's, old, he's, no he's, one's watching those movies? Anymore? He's, he's, he's in a, in a rather large group of people whose movies aren't being watched. Does you anyone know, watch I'm... Chris Sauer's movies? Does anyone watch... I, I, you know, there's, there's a couple of channels, you know, there's Turner classic movies and there's, you know, some streaming channels that you can find those movies, a criterion channel, if you know what they are. Uh, but you were talking about seeing these films in, in film school. Uh, I, there are very few places that have film courses. Now they have, they have courses on how to make films, right. you know, and how to use the machines and, you know, make your own, uh, movies of, with your friends. But in terms of actual film history, uh, it's pretty much in short supply, except or, or on the coast. Yeah, and so people and 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 the fun thing about going to the movies for me when I was in college was talking about them afterward. Uh, I started a big film collection with some friends of mine in sixteen millimeter films. We had like hundreds of films because there was no other way to see them, and you could. It was great to bring girls over and say, "You want to see eight and a half? You know, that was kind of a well. That's nobody else has got it, but you know now everybody pops in their disc and everybody owns everything." But they're not exposed to this stuff anymore. And well, it's also the, the culture just exploded. I mean, there was literally a time, I'm sure for all of us, you probably name a year that was the last time this was true, where 
obviously I hadn't seen every movie that was out, but you were going to be hard pressed to come up with the name of a film that was either new or had even had come out in the last 50 years that I wasn't vaguely aware of, you know, and now there's so much stuff. Being well, there's too much, so to much be stuff. Aware of. So much yeah, content, it's, it's impossible. Right. It's there's literally content, impossible to be. Yeah. So, so, and, and there's less, you know, we, we, had no idea how good I had it as a kid having three UHF channels that just showed the same, you know, 43 movies. <laughs> so eventually you'd see all of them. Um, it was its own kind of crash course. So but, it's now, it's now, it's now become a kind of a subculture, uh, you know, the, the people who are interested in going back and, you know, uh, investigating the films of Fellini or Stanley Kubrick or, or, or whatever, because, you know, a bad career move is, is, is dying. It's, it's a terrible career move because once you're out of the public eye uh, and your stuff isn't shown anymore and it doesn't star people who are well known to the viewer, um, they become essentially culturally irrelevant. And I think that the problem is that you know, a lot of young people today uh, are just, they're just not interested. It doesn't speak to them. It, it, it's, you know, if, if you need to sit them down and acquaint them with something, uh, they, they might respond or respond to it. And it might, but, but chances are it's something that they would, it, it's like homework. You know, it's not like actual, it's not part of their lives. And uh, it's, and I think that's, but I think that's what always happened. I think it's what happened with literature. It happened with, you know, Charles Dickens, all of a sudden people weren't reading anymore. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're all Salieri now, you know, I mean, all, all these things are just basically um, secondary thoughts. But it's also one of the reasons we do the show is to sort of draw people's attention to stuff through like, Hey, did you like that amazing action pack shoot 'em up you saw on Netflix last week? Here's, here's one of the writers talking about uh, Donetsk and Dead. And it's, um, <laughs> You want to know where that came from? Because <laughs> you know we do have on the show a, a, a sort of document that follows it, and it lists all the pictures that are discussed in every given episode, and then also has these little links, you know, to either the trailer commentaries on our Travis from Hell site, or just you know the IMDb list or, or some other place you can go to read about it, or to our sponsor, Movies Unlimited, where you can buy it on DVD. I'm surprised and it took you so long. To <laughs> Yes, well, as long as we're here. Um, yeah, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Movies Unlimited, uh, because many of the movies we're talking about on the show here with Boaz are available at MoviesUnlimited.com. They're the expert on movies since 1978. You're going to find thousands of titles to choose from. Classics, hard-to-find movies, and new releases, too. They also have Aviva, Boaz's amazing film, uh, which you should definitely be checking out. So support our sponsor and be good to yourself. Just click the Movies Unlimited banner on uh, the Trailers from Hell website or go to MoviesUnlimited.com and get all your favorites, uh, old and new, at MoviesUnlimited.com. Shipping is always free on orders over $50. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I know I've been talking about uh, much older movies, 
Um, but I guess there are a few things that in, within the last years, uh, at least newer, uh, not this year, but uh, that, that I found very like engaging and, and, and kind of like inspiring to do the, the types of things that I'm trying to do. Um, there's a very, a, a very dark filmmaker who, whose films I don't like watching more than once, except for one of them, um, but who I, I, I admire greatly, um, called Gaspar Noé. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I mean, I like, uh, like, I think Irreversible is a masterpiece that I hope never to watch again. And that I'm very happy I watched by myself in my room with nobody else around. So wait, me. But did you, I'm, I'm 100% with you, but I did when, you know, he's re-edited it. There's a new Blu-ray out. I think it's British. I don't want anything to do with it. I but saw it's backwards. It. In other words, it's in the forwards. right order. In other words, and like, part of it's like so. I got it, and then I'm like, yeah, I, I, I'm still never gonna watch. Still yeah, watch I, I think that's again. being done with Memento as we speak. Um, <laughs> well, but, but 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 that that was a great. But the film of his that I have watched many times. Yes, and that I I, I really adore, and it's 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 a combination of sublime and and idiotic at the same time, which is sort of his mo or something. But it's called Enter the Void. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen Enter the Void. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and, you know, look, I love watching Enter the Void at home because also you get nauseous watching it on a <laughs> too big of a screen. I can't do the shaky cam on big screens. And it's got that whole blinking. Effect. Anyhow, but I found his, that whole, uh, the thing that knocked me out about that movie was, right, the whole thing is told from like a long flowing pov shot and then when the kid gets killed right spoiler alert his spirit rises out of his body and then just be clear to our listeners he dies at the beginning of the film yeah like like 15 minutes in or what have you right and 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 then the rest are kind of following his spirit as he's going in and out of the bodies of his sister and all these other people and through telephone lines and over the city and in and out of people's ejaculations and everything but all of a sudden in the middle of that movie he breaks that style to go into flashbacks of what brought the kid to where he was. And all the flashbacks are told in a series of, of cuts and scenes from behind the kid's head. So mm-hmm. it's like a POV shot, but it's not a POV. He's in, his, he's in, in the it. POV. Yeah. And the only thing that, combine, that, that binds everything together visually is that his head's always in the shots. So like you always have an anchor to everything that's happening. But the way the past is sort of explored in the middle of this long flowing movie to suddenly break it and start doing these like vignettes that way, I just thought was so terrific, you know, Um, plus that guy who shot it, Benoit Deby, is one of like the best, most interesting director, like DPs we have. I mean, oh, for sure. yeah, it's an amazing looking film. But and, what is, I'm, I'm with you. It, we also seem to have lightened up a bit because some of his more recent films are less grim. But that that was the movie where I was like, uh, did Gasper fall in love or something? Because it's actually know, kind of weirdly hopeful and positive. Yeah, that, that the latest one he did, which, you know, since I'm so into dance movies. That's right, the dance troupe. Like I have not climax. seen it. it? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry to hear that. Anyone can and everything. Of course, everyone liked that one, but I was, <laughs> that was the first one. I even liked that one, Love, with it, like nudity yes. and all that. That was okay. Like, I liked it, you know. But but this new one, I was just kind of like, ooh, I I, I wasn't into it. Um, I'm sorry, but, but, but I love. But he's definitely seemed to have changed his worldview a bit. Uh, it's pretty bleak that one. Um, climax. Uh, oh, is it? I, oh, I, I'm sorry. To hear that. It has a little something, but but it's. Uh, 
But I, I really love Enter the Void. I think it's an exciting, yeah. exciting challenge and provocation in terms of like things you can do. Yeah. Um, I really love Dogville. Lars von Trier's Dogville. I like Dogville too. I think that in a way by focusing on the theatricality, by, by, by turning it into like kind of a, a mixture of theater and, and cinema, by like in a way taking away cinema, mm-hmm. um, that he actually expanded the idea of cinema at the same time. Like what, it, there was something paradoxical about the effect that it had on me, um, which was, you know, when you talk about those scenes in, in Aviva where like I just used that, you know, have scenes yeah, in the world thinking. and all yes. that. Then I just use that warehouse where people are just miming being in the car or whatever it is. <clears throat> I was like very influenced by that, you know, by the idea that you can create a sense of reality and a sense of investment and still have it be so theatrical and abstract. Yeah. Like I, I love that one. Um, uh, and uh, and and the other one that that uh, I was mentioning was, um, wait, so it was Dogville and it was that, and, and now this is almost the opposite in that it's very quote unquote realistic film. But I would say, I would pose that in its like relentless focus on a kind of realism that it reaches a level of emotional abstraction that's so interesting. Um, and it's, it's that movie called Blue is the Warmest Color, mm. um, which in some ways is popular to hate on now because of all the female, like girl on girl scenes and male gaze and this and that, which it of course has some of, uh, of that in it. <clears throat> but what I thought was fascinating about that movie was that it's three hours long about this simple relationship. And it's relentlessly close on the actress's face Mm -hmm. all the time. It's relentless. It's relentless. Of course, there'll be a nice wide shot once in a while to show, but it's got a a relentless approach to intimacy. Like, and I, I found that so bracing. I found it so bracing. I, I found, that, that his relentlessness in that film actually broke the wall that I'm so used to in movies where like, yeah, you feel something, you choke up or whatever, but that, but that by the time the really emotional sequences started to hit, I had an almost completely different relationship to them and almost tactile. Like it was the only movie that I've ever seen where when the characters were breaking up and not able to be together or whatever, that I actually almost felt what it would be like not to be able to touch that person ever again. Like, wow. you know, and, and, and I, I found that his relentless quote unquote realism in that became almost an abstraction. And I, I was really knocked out by it. And Have that you- movie influenced the Viva a lot too. Sure. Yeah, no, I can see that. The um, uh, Joe, we even talked about. Have you seen Lost Daughter? I saw half of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new well, Maggie, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I know it's it's divisive because she does. 
I mean, just physically get so close to her actors in some scenes. It's, it's, uh, I can see it being off putting to some, I don't know. Like, I find it kind of really interesting. I mean, she'll literally just push in on, you know, the bottom half of somebody's face as they walk into a room and react to it. And it's, um, it's a really interesting effect. Uh, I, I, I liked it a lot. Um, Joe. Well, in blue, in blue in the warmest color, a lot of people got sick of like that. I thought that girl was amazing. Mm-hmm. I can't pronounce her name, the Excel Exitopolis or, whatever her name was, but like she was crying on snot was coming out of her nose. And I'm sure the director was like, don't wipe the snot away, you know, just keep it there, you know, and it gets a little gross to watch. Um, but, but like, yeah. And you're just there all the time while she's crying yeah. in the face like that. Um, and uh, Hey, it's not like, for me, it's sort of like, that's, these movies are so, I, I like them so much. Like I, I remember watching one of those sunrise movies that Richard Linklater, Mm-hmm. Did, you know, the three of them with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi, and they just basically walk around and talk the whole time. Yeah. I can't I tell you how much I want to hate those movies. And I can't, every time I watch one, I just, I love them, but yeah, God, yeah. I lo- I love the idea movies. is so annoying. Yeah, they're, they're great. No, especially <laughs> they're the last two. The last two are actually yeah, even better. They than get that, better. Right? Yes. The first one, right? yep. um, and I was, I saw the, the, the second one with a friend and we left the theater and, and I, I was like, wow, I really enjoyed that. Um, and, and he was like, this isn't, that's not why I go to the movies. This isn't, this isn't why I go to the movies. And I was like, well, I mean, not every movie should be like this, <laughs> <laughs> but aren't you glad one movie's like this? Like, like this, you know, it's, it's so interesting to me where people are like, this isn't what I like about films. I like <laughs> films to be like this. And you're like, okay, I got it. You know, that, that's awesome. And most movies are like that. You know yeah. what I mean? But this three movies or whatever, 10, 20, or the, there's three movies are about these two people chatting for an hour and a half. But and come on, actually, between you and me, engaging. just cone of silence. All those movies would be better if they had car chases. <laughs> Not at all. Oh, I, I love them. I don't know why. I just, there, there's something I was just, I went up to the first one, just kicking and screaming. And I was like, oh God, you know, and and couldn't believe how much I liked it. And I thought the second one came out and I go, okay, this is going to be the bad one. This is, and it's just, God damn it. You just like hanging out with those two people. The third one I would qualify along with that, that movie, uh, that Danish movie, Force Majeure. Did you ever see mm-hmm. Force Majeure? Yes. Yes. I'd say the third, the third um, sunrise movie, whatever it's called. And, and um, Force Majeure are like worst date movie ever. <laughs> like they, they, they both like, you know, like, you cannot go see that movie with someone that you're in a relationship with because you will break up if you even start discussing it after the movie. Because I don't think what he did was that gonna bad. Be a Honey, fight. where'd you go? It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight. Like after before sunrise, that last sunrise movie, it was like talking with the talking with a girl that I was with. And, you know, I'm like, wow, I, I can't believe you let her talk to him like that. What do you mean? let her talk to him like that. <laughs> we didn't let her talk to him like that. No she coming back from that one, honest. my friend. He's like, a, he's like a fucking passive asshole. And you're like, what, what are you talking about? She's just so rude to it. Like, and then get <laughs> to that relationship being over. And, and, and Force Majeure kind of has that same thing where you're just like, oh, let's not even talk after this movie. Um, no, but, th- but those, those three movies in the last years, I think influenced me quite a bit. Um, the, those three. And, and I'll, I'll add one more. And people probably rarely talk about these kind of things. Because there are a whole world of movies or films 
that aren't films that go to theaters, that aren't an hour and a half to two and a half hours long, that are like dance films that companies make or that are like experimental projects people do. Now, I don't watch too much. I'm not like some kind of art. I, I, like I said, I watch Jaws a lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> but there are a few films like that that are so striking and so interesting. Um, and the movie that really knocked me out um, is a movie called The Cost of Living. And there is a, a British dance slash movement company, theatrical company called DV8. Um, it's like the letter DV and then the number eight. I don't know if they're still around right now, but they were, and their artistic director, you know, uh, choreographer is a really brilliant, brilliant uh, creator of movement and movement pieces. And he'll combine spoken word and movement and, and all that. And he made a few films. Usually they're about 30 minutes long or 40 minutes long. Um, and, and one of them is called The Cost of Living. Uh, and it's set in some small, like Brighton in England, or one of those like kind of seaside, crappy seaside towns in England somewhere. Um, and it's fantastic. And, and he also made a movie called Enter Achilles. That I like a little less, but it's also, it's fantastic. Um, Are these, how, how do you find them? Vimeo? Would be. YouTube, Vimeo. Are they, they yep. You know, like try to watch the whole, sometimes I'll only have four minutes of them or whatever, but like the cost of living is like 30 minutes long. Um, and, and Enter Achilles, uh, is, um, probably about, uh, 30 minutes long too. Uh, and I think those movies are fantastic. Um, and actually sometimes before I do something, I seek out some things like that. It's not the kind of thing I normally watch, um, but I seek out things that people do that are a little more off the beaten track and that aren't necessarily feature length films, you know, that are the kind of thing that we usually see. Yeah. Cause I mean, you never know what you're going to stumble across. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of obvious horrible, thing to say, but, but it's, be, yeah, yeah, you know, I've, uh, I've 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 sat through sort of weird and awful things only to see a shot that may even have been accidental, but that you're like, I could steal that shot someday, and people will say I'm brilliant, you know. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, possibly it's just getting older and jaded and having seen so much, but I, I I'm sure I share this experience in that, like, for me, most of the time these days, I'll sit down to watch something and I'll turn on my TV and I have like. Amazon and Netflix and HBO plus and, and, uh, and Disney plus and, and, and criteria. And that, and I sit there and I try and find something to watch and there's 90 million things. And after 30 minutes, I'm like, fuck are the warriors playing? And I, 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 I just, yeah, the warriors are playing. And I just watch a basketball game. Like I, I don't even watch movie. I just watch basketball. Because I just don't know what to even look at it. That's because my, my response to that usually is yeah, just to give up, go into my library and drag out the actual Warriors, the movie, or you know something like that. That's just gonna. I've seen them so much. So at <laughs> yeah. this point, at this point, I just watch sports. Um, when I when I'm focusing on making something, which isn't that often, um, like the one I'm about to do now is also a, you know, I'm paying for it myself. Um, then I start locking down and like trying to watch things that are going to influence me and, and, you know, and affect the style and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
But in general, just for entertainment, I'm, I'm sort of a little bit more, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of off it a little bit. Well, you can come uh, back and talk about all of your favorite basketball movies. There you go. Well, no, the, whole, the whole point of sports is that it, it, I, I did direct a sports movie. That's right. And, and a, a rather notable one, actually. Um, Remember the Titans. Yeah, but, but, but honestly, for me, the whole point of sports is that you don't know what's going to happen. But see, this is actually, can we let you that? Know, I, that's what I like about sports. With, with films, I'm like, yeah, someone wrote it and spent hours, years making it, and you know what's going to happen. Or even if you don't, you know someone knows what's that, you know? Whereas with sports, you're in the moment, at that moment, watching the drama unfold in front of you while it's happening. And I don't know. I find, I, I, you're, you're the perfect person for me to have this kind of way, and then we'll let you go, because it's something that's always, I do not enjoy sports. And the main reason I don't enjoy sports is I have been fortunate enough once or twice um, uh, to see amazing games where I think I was, I was actually working on history of violence. We were up in Canada and we were sitting in somebody's trailer watching, um, uh, what was it? It was the, the Red Sox who had like never been, or had been in the world series in like 80 years or whatever, getting into the red, you know, getting into the series and then winning it. You know, these amazing games that go 15, 16, 17 innings, the pitcher having this amazing streak, not leaving the mound, literally socks are red with his own blood, you know, the drama. And, you're, and I'm going, this is why I hate sports, because this is one in a thousand. Every other baseball game I've ever been to is over by the second inning. I'm bored senseless the entire time. Nothing happens. And I crave that narrative. I, I love it when I don't know how the game's going to end. But, but, you know, you can watch Rocky and be surprised at the outcome of that. But it's, it's the part where you have to sit through 10,000 games where nothing happens that, that I just can't get to. But the way you put it made it sound almost enticing. But then oh, I remember I, that. Look, I, if you're like into the NBA where you start following all the dramas, who's being traded to what team, and oh, no, now, now he, you know, James Harden's going to Philly and they're going to play against the, like, the Nets and the Nets now got, you know, so there, there are all these like narratives and dramas within a season that happen, you know, like you, you, it's like the soap opera of the sports world, right? Where you're following all these different characters and, and all that. And, uh, and, and the truth is, you know, I, I, I just enjoy it. And when you talk about that, like, you know, the boring first baseball is really hard. Huh? Like yeah. those games are really, it's hard. Um, how many boring ass movies do we watch? Not as many. Really? There are more boring sporting events. Yes, I would argue. I would argue. Joe, come on. You back me up here. You're not a sports guy, right? Uh, in a word, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take this guy. We can take him. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't like all sports, but, but, but I am addicted to the NBA. That's so interesting. And, well, I, yeah, I wanted to – I was like, as a joke, I was going, hey, we're recording this the day before the Super Bowl. Let's make our predictions. But I realized <laughs> this is how much of a sports guy I am. I couldn't tell you who's in the Super Bowl yesterday and who won. I think LA, LA has a, won. LA won. The LA won. That was why there was all that noise last You're alienating time. our audience. But I don't know who they were playing. LA I, won. I have no idea. We were, we were watching movies. It was a good game, too. Uh, awesome. Fun halftime show. We stopped for that. Uh, well, Boaz, man, thank you so much. I, I knew this would be a, a fantastic conversation. You did not. I, I, hope, I hope you found it not a, a waste of time. No, no, yeah, it, no, it's you know uh, you you stack up very well against our other what one thousand guests. So. <laughs> I, I I'm honored to I'm I'm honored to have been asked to tell you the truth. Very honored. Um, uh, no, it's a real pleasure to have you. I've been a fan, obviously, of your stuff for a long time, and and it's such a I just I, I love filmmakers who aren't 
you know, one thing for sure, I feel like you'll correct me. I don't feel like you've ever made the same film twice. I've tried maybe to my detriment. I've tried not. To. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you ever made the same you genre? Know, twice? I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't think I've even made the same genre. <laughs> twice. So people don't know what the fuck to do with me. Um, you know, but, which is, yeah, but, but anyway, but that's, that's great. I mean, it's like, it's that's, interesting. yeah, their loss, if that isn't interesting to them, um, the movie, check, check it out, please track it down. Aviva, um, is out there, uh, on various and sundry streaming services. It is really, really, really cool. Um, I, I, I just, I adored it and it's beautifully directed and, uh, lots of fun. And even when sometimes you got so deep into that stuff, I'm like, I need to read up more on, um, you know gender duality because because you don't have enough of it on your own i i guess <laughs> yes i'm 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 like i don't know <laughs> but it's uh well thanks yeah, a lot. it's fantastic Th- thank, thank you, so, you much. so much our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers we can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown burbank we're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply